0: I just got uh, home or five minutes ago. I've Got veggie chili on, on the on the hob, and my, it's about an, an hour and a half away from being ready. So uh, it's perfect timing for us to talk. It's really good. Played a festival near Lod, uh, Lodz in Poland um, called Summer Dying Loud. So it was it wasn't a doom festival. It was like a, a, a death and black metal festival, but that's cool. It's good that we can play sort of have one foot in, in in that area, that definitely opens up more options for us for playing shows, which is, it's important that we don't pigeonhole ourselves too much, although clearly we are very happily a doom metal band, and we feel as though we're getting away with it.
1: Diary of Doom. I'm Dylan, and join me as we look back on the rich history of Doom Metal and its sister sounds based on the recounted tales of its followers. Every week we'll have a different guest to spin their yarn. You can visit the website at diaryofdoom.com, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, follow the podcast on diaryofdoom.podbean.com, and subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or whatever shady podcast streaming app you want to use. And if you have a question or whatever, you can fire off an email to diaryofdoom1968 at gmail.com. It seems that every year the same senior members of the metal scene, like clockwork, will say the same bland talking point they have assumed as their hypothetical soapbox. Whether it's Kiss saying it's done for good or keep on keeping on or what the real reasons behind Dave Mustaine's firing from Metallica really are, or Glenn Danzig just saying something flat out weird. All of these dudes love to remind people of who they are. One of my favorites comes from none other than John Davis of Corn fame. He Mm -hmm. loves to remind folks every year that there's no more interesting music, no more bands, and nobody creating any kind of art related to music because, well, apparently that all just fucking stopped at Corn. I strongly beg to differ, because beyond the fact that there are countless new and exciting artists and bands out there, there's a man who happens to share the same name with Mr. Davis, who also happens to front one of the heaviest fucking metal bands out there, if you ask me. Korn's John Davis, please step aside for Coden's John Davis, our guest for this week's chapter of DOD, the true lords of Caveman Battledoom. Thanks for joining us, John.
0: You're welcome. That, that was one hell of an introduction, well done. <laughs>
1: i i uh, i hope you don't mind that i uh, i used you as a sort of to take a little dig there at john davis
0: <laughs> no i i i also was a huge corn fan and um every time uh, i see an article on facebook where he's been interviewed for a big magazine i always share it on my personal profile and say thanks for the interview and it's become a bit of a running joke now so <laughs> I, I feel like john davis and myself It feels weird to say that, but I feel like John Davis and myself are intrinsically linked in more ways than he knows.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So John, uh, this John, uh, plays guitar and uh, performs battle cries and yelling as well in Conan. And uh, he's been uh, doing that. You've been doing that for about 21 years, which is pretty incredible. Before we delve into the history uh, and music of Conan, How does it feel to be active in a band for over 20 years? And like, what do you credit for a successful career in heavy metal?
0: My sort of early days playing guitar in bands before Conan was all about just me wanting to just play in a band. I thought it would be a cool thing to do when I was, I'm 46 now. So when I was like 15, 16, 17, learning to play guitar, trying to do my studies at school and then university i remember all i wanted to do was was to just be in a band that played on stage i didn't want to learn how to be a a property manager i didn't want to do my a levels at school i didn't want to do any of that stuff all i wanted to do was try and play music live and i I didn't know why i didn't really know how i was going to get these shows but i knew that that's i just needed to start a band and, and and get going and inspired by nirvana and Bands like that at first. Fast forward into when you know when Conan came around. I recall there was like a transitional period between my the other band that I was in, which was called uh, Release, and then I had one of my four by twelve cabs. A friend of mine had typed the word, had made an a, a, an artwork of the word Release where the where the letter R was an ejaculating penis. <laughs> and um, I, I'm glad I don't have that anymore. And uh, went from Release. And the bands that i was in just started to get like sorry the music that we were writing was starting to get progressively heavier when i started to listen to bands like fudge tunnel and sepultura and uh, nirvana more so that band went their own they wanted to go and play covers at weddings or whatever it was they wanted to do they brought someone's brother in and they and we i remember playing the Police. Um, Roxanne, you can put on the red light. That's one Mm -hmm. of the songs that we we did, believe it or not. And it wasn't for me, that kind of thing. So anyway, that band disbanded, formed another band. And we called ourselves um, Windago. And uh, sadly, the drummer in that band, uh, a young man called Gary Lynch. And we'd only been hanging out for like two or three months. He was um, involved in a hit and run. He got out of a taxi. Mm. some, some, Some idiot drove into him and nearly killed him. So he, he was he, he was unable to play drums anymore after that. So we brought the old drummer from Release back. That The band that that became was called Evil Eye and that was heavily Fu Manchu influenced, as you can imagine. We played shows in Liverpool. Again, didn't have any idea where we were going to go with this, but I knew I wanted to go somewhere with it. I knew it was just, this is what I want to do. So I never gave up. I remember when the evil eye sort of like when we just because the drummer had some personal problems, so we, we didn't continue with that. And then a little while later, I was just like super antsy about starting another band again. And I started just practicing at home and came up with some ideas for riffs. I, I knew we we're gonna like was kind of different from what I was I'd, I had been listening to. I've never really explained all of this before, so you must have got me in the right mood. I was living with my mum and dad and I've been divorced then. So I've moved back home with my folks temporarily. And I remember just sitting in the spare room coming up with these ideas. And myself, I'm, I'm a friend at the time, uh, started rehearsing in Liverpool and I worked I worked as a recruitment consultant in the construction industry. So i would be out and about on building sites, trying to sell them. You know, do you want any labour today? Do you need any joiners next week? and I would I would tell my work that I was on site doing sales calls when in fact I was in a rehearsal room practicing for Conan and like trying (laughs) to to convince some drummer in Manchester that he wanted to come and play play drums and in the band eventually the old bassist from my previous bands a like called Richie Grundy said well I can play a bit of drums why don't we go to the rehearsal studio so we went to the rehearsal studio and we had like quite a few practices. It was super cool coming. This is coming towards the end of 2006, early 2007. And we recorded a demo. We had one or two show offers. Rich couldn't, didn't feel like playing. I couldn't, I still don't really know why I didn't fancy it. Maybe he didn't believe in it or whatever. So he backed out. And then about six months later, Paul O'Neill and I met on a, on a, um, a music forum. And of course, Paul became the first drummer in Conan. So it seems like ages ago since that happened, but then also in a kind of a weird way, because Conan is still a thing and what I created back then is sort of, is still exists now. It also feels like yesterday when all that happened. So it's kind of weird. I I still feel like we've got lots to do. I think we've still got lots of uh, our story is like not even halfway written, you know, if you want to put it in in that way. And I feel like we've still got lots of corners to turn and lots of growing to do, Um, you know, we just this is our last album for Napalm Records, for example, we're at like a really important point in our evolution, because, you know, we need, you know, what do we do now? Do we what label do we go with? What what do we do with it? And we got lots of ideas now for like new material, which we were just discussing at the weekend or the last couple of days while we were away in Poland. So it feels good to be in a band that's, that's stuck at it for this long. There was never really any really big plan to do that right at the beginning or even halfway through, you know, it never really was like, oh yeah, let's start a band and we'll make loads of money and we'll go on tour and we'll smoke weed all day long and eat pizza and we'll live forever. That was never really, that was never really a thing. (laughs) Everything that's come our way has just kind of happened naturally. You make some business decisions along the way and then those people kind of help you out with shows and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's been, it's been an an amazing journey. Um, I, I obviously made some sacrifices personally. Along the way, you know, I, I do have children. I don't see them as often as as I would like, but I, but I do see them often. You know, they don't live, they're only 10 minutes down the road. So when I'm when I'm not on tour, you know, they're a very important part of my life, fortunately. But, you know, I, I, like not being able to have like a stable career sort of thing outside of music was difficult at first when music wasn't really making any money. So I was always like, you know, I never had, to, had a pot to piss in, as we say over here. So that was that was a very difficult thing to say, almost like a, a disincentive to some people. Like you know, oh you know, I can't handle this. I'm just going to go and do the office job and and have a career in an office, being told what to do all day. But for me, it was the opposite. I've been so idealistic about just being. I want to be in a band. I want. I I want my life to be that like that Nirvana video live tonight, sold out, where they're in a van or or in a plane and they're on TV no, we've never been on a TV show, don't we may never do that. But like, I just wanted to, I wanted my life to be like that. And that that was the idea that I had in like my late teens, early twenties. And I, I I've always been really determined just to that is the life I want. I want to, that's how I want to be. That's what I want to be remembered for is to have that kind of like, uh, energy, um, and put that into the world. So far we've done pretty good, you know, we're, 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 our appeal you know it's it's quite strong i think you know we're a doom metal band that a lot of doom metal fans will know and that that's important for me you know it's important that we've got like after all this time and all of this energy that we've put into it we we you want some sort of recognition or you and we do have some recognition so that's enough for me you know i really enjoy playing i really enjoy writing so whatever comes our way now is a bonus you know i feel like we've built up enough momentum for us to just kind of go wherever it is we're meant to go so now all all our effort is into making cool music and playing shows as often as possible. We're not too worried about how people view us anymore, because I think we've kind of, we've been given a reputation by other people, you know, people have a perception of us, which is generally pretty positive. So for for us now, we're kind of like, we're enjoying doing those things which fuel that fire you know writing cool music and playing when we can playing cool interesting shows which um obviously we just come back from poland just this weekend last weekend we were in brazil you know it's like insane that we get to do these these things with these songs i still play we still play satsumo and Battle in the swamp which are songs that i wrote back in 2006 in my mom and dad's spare room it's cool as fuck. i'm living the dream you know this is what i've always wanted to do And uh,
1: you know who knows what will happen after this. That's pretty incredible, you know. Um, But to turn the (laughs) clock back, so what was your musical upbringing like? Did you have one, or did you find music on your own? I mean, after all, you're from the same city as the Beatles, so I knew you
0: were going to say that. (laughs) Knew it, but you're right though. And naturally, there is that. Uh, But it's it's not like the it's not like. It's not like they they play the Beatles at five pm, and that's when you got to go home from playing football in the street, right? Right. and you got to say, you know, you got to you got to recite the lyrics to "I want to hold your hand" before you eat dinner or anything like that. It's not we're not it's not a religion, but definitely the um, the Beatles is like a tourist attraction in Liverpool now. It was the Beatles are never really an influence on me musically. That I'm not gonna say I was ever a Beatles fan. Just the same way I'm not a Jason Donovan fan or a. Linda Carlisle fan. You know, I obviously know about them out of the corner of my eye sort of thing, but they're not a band that I've never really paid much attention to, apart from obviously they're a big name. So my musical upbringing really, uh, I've got some isolated memories from when I was a very young boy um, and I'm talking like six, seven, eight, nine. And I remember that my dad had an acoustic guitar and I do remember as a very young child and I think my parents still remember I, I i was trying to strum the guitar with a spoon <laughs> and that was like uh i do remember that i don't know how old it was but i remember the house we were in and it was it was we moved we left there when i was eight so it must have been then and another memory from that kind of era that time was a friend of mine his dad had like quite a few records and i remember he had the, the i remember specifically the album cover for um iron maiden number of the beast and I remember looking at that and being kind of intimidated by it as I was a baby and I was looking at it it was kind of scary with the Eddie on there and whatever else. And I remember that, that must've had an impact upon me because being kind of intimidated by music has always been something that has drawn me to it. And moving on with like my like story of music I remember like not really being fussed on music generally, apart from Motown and some pop music, up until the age of about 10, 11. And then when I went into high school, I remember I started listening to rock more. Because a couple of lads in school were into Led Zeppelin and they gave me like a couple of Led Zeppelin tapes. Um Rainbow was um cool. Remember, I remember one of my friends would song would sing the song Since You've Been Gone getting on the bus one time to school. And I remember specifically that moment when he was, him and someone else were singing, Since You've Been Gone, out of my head, can't take it. And I, that's like a song that, that's a moment in time that I remember now and I must've been 12 years old. So that lad there, Robert Rice, he gave me a few a few Led Zeppelin tapes, a few rainbow tapes. And I started listening to like Def Leppard and Bon Jovi. Cause my dad worked at Ford Motorcars then. And he there was a bit of a thing going on then where people would like, sell counterfeit tape cassette recordings you know like with a photocopied sleeve sort of (laughs) like cut into shape and it would look like shit but you would buy them for a pound or two pounds and that was people would would make a couple of quid on the side and work doing that so i started doing that in my school and like the girls loved it because they get the latest bros album or the latest kylie minogue album or whatever but i always got it because i was waiting for like a cool like heavy rock tape to come on there that was how i got my music then and i remember li- getting the slippery no no um, bad medicine the uh, bon jovi and uh Death get a, yeah get
1: a little taste of new jersey
0: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and I, and I started listening that was my introduction to like rock music and then a couple of years later maybe less maybe sooner than that started listening to um anthrax uh, I must've heard the song, uh, got the time on the radio or something. Yeah. Yeah. the cover. Like, oh, yeah, this is boss. And from then I, I, from then I was listening to, um, the album persistence of time. And I started listening to the older albums then. And I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then just, I remember the first time I listened to Iron Maiden, my friend, Mike Dunning, I must've been 13, 14 at this point. He just moved from another school. And I remember he, he gave me the tape, set for live must've been live after death. And I remember listening to it thinking this is a bit too much. And this is where that intimidation thing come from getting that buzz of like putting an album on and thinking, whoa, this, I can't handle this. This is something about it is like hard to absorb would make me nervous about listening to music and, uh, that drew me to it. So I always wanted to listen to like the heavier band, the heavier, uh, who else can listen to that would give me that same feeling of, oh my God, is, this is too much for me. And I went from, Iron Maiden. I stuck with anthrax for a while. Then it was Megadeth Metallica. And then I found Sepultura. And, uh, the first album I remember listening to uh, of them was Arise. And then of course, from there, I looked back at Morbid Visions, uh, Beneath the Remains, um, and then Sepultura became like, they were like one of those things, which just like, they blew my mind because they were just like thrash metal in a similar vein to Megadeth were in a way, but just super heavy. And interesting because he sung with this Brazilian accent, which Mm -hmm. I thought I thought was cool as fuck. And like you know, bit of a bit of a tangent here, but now I'm like really good friends with those guys. I mean, just two days ago, I had a you know a a telephone conversation with Gloria Cavalera, Max's wife, about some band business stuff, just giving me advice on a few things. So that's insane to think. At fourteen, I'm listening to her husband sing, and then fast forward. Thirty-two years later, I'm talking to to Gloria, and she's giving me advice on the, on the music business. It's just like, just amazing how the world works. Anyway, so listen to Sepultura. I'm seeing them play on the TV show called The Word, and The Word really was a really important TV show that introduced me to bands which really took helped me to sort of move forward with with music in and in a in a way which sort of brought me to playing it um i remember here remember going on the word and i Sepultura just brought out chaos ad and on the word there's a the, the, there's a performance of them playing um territory on the word and there's like a small, they let the crowd out of a cage. That was the joke. <laughs> the crowd would come out of the cage, all these like guys with the hair, like in the nose over here, all like, Way! and uh, they had this mosh pit in front of the stage and uh, just fucking Sepultura playing Chaos AD on the TV. And then I was just hooked on on Sepultura from, from that same show. I also saw L7 play Pretend We're Dead live. And one of the girls took a skirt down and, and showed showed off a, a, a crotch. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, this is insane. And, and then a couple of episodes later, Nirvana were on there and played Smells Like Teen Spirit. and, and I, So then I discovered all, and I was learning, just starting to learn to play guitar at the time. I started to discover this, this kind of heavy metal that I could play. Because up until that point, heavy metal to me was Anthrax, um, Fistful of Metal. The first guitar I ever got was a Spanish classical acoustic that must have cost about five quid, uh, and my parents got me this, the, the the booklet of the music for Fistful of Metal. So I don't know how they expected me to play that music on this guitar, but God love them they gave me.
1: <laughs> Try this out, fucking yeah. note note salad on an acoustic.
0: I had no, I had no idea what I was doing even with simple stuff, but that was that, that was that was my intro to music like that. Sepultura, Nirvana, L. Seven on this thing, and from 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 there I discovered um Nailbomb and Fudge Tunnel, and I discovered all of these bands that were heavy metal, but not like big time hair metal or at Sepultura very big, but Nailbomb are just like the savage band that was just like fucking insanely heavy band that had Mass Cavalera and Alex Newport and and had become then two of the sort of front men in bands that I've become obsessed with, like, I just want to play music like this. How do we do it? How do we do it? And because I was listening to them, the bands I was in, and this ha- this all happened around the same time as the band release with the ejaculating letter R and the band like, um, evil eye and when sort of like my out, out the corner of my eye was always like, I was always, I was always paying attention to what fudge tunnel and, and sepultura and, and um uh, nail Bomb had done. And that, made me want to just play heavy music and over time i uh just started writing riffs which became the riffs that you're now hearing in conan and it's it all thanks really initially to my mum and dad buying me that spanish classical acoustic and me not being able to play it one thing which i think i will add to here was I, I i was trying to play guitar but wasn't doing very well at it and i remember my granddad rest in peace He used to put five, a five pence piece in this broken money box that he had on his, on his windowsill. And in this winter, he would put a five five pence piece or a penny in there. And I remember on my 18th birthday, God love him. He'd saved up enough money to give me a hundred pounds. So my mum and dad took me to Manchester with my granddad. I think if I recall correctly, he came with us because I wanted to spend that hundred pound on a leather coat. The, the posh day out was to go to manchester and go to the arndale center and i remember in this leather coat shop there was a man in there and he was talking to me about oh you're getting a jacket are you 18 yeah and he he, he was asked I, I said to him i was just starting to play guitar he said oh yeah what 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 sort of so i, I started explaining to him like i had a, an acoustic guitar and he says can you do power chords and i was like no what's a power chord so I was playing like bar chords, the traditional way that a teacher would show you, and he said, "Well, just you know that Nirvana would most of what they played is a power chord." You know, I'm like, what's a power chord!" So he showed me what a power chord was, and I was like, "Holy shit!" That mo-, and him showing me this this unassuming middle aged guy in in a leather jacket shop in Manchester taught me really un- he unlocked the key uh, the the box you know that. Gave me the ability to 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 just write riffs um, at will. Everything I was doing was it was a fully formed bar chord, mm-hmm. and you can't play Conan songs like that, you know. Obviously, and I would have gone on a totally different path if I had never le- learned to play power chords off this guy. So yeah, all, all around the age of eighteen, so everything just sort of clicked into place. I was like, oh yeah, so I can play power chords now, so I can make melodies and sing over these, and then. I can form songs then, and then over time, the riffs I were writing were getting heavier and heavier, and, and and we recorded our first demo in January two thousand and seven, January twenty seventh two thousand and seven, and I've been in a I'd only just started a relationship with Holly, my ex wife, uh, who became you know we we married and we Skyhammer Studio was born from that relationship, so again that's like an important part of my life so. From the age eighteen onwards was when things kind of got a little bit more structured for me. That was a long story, wasn't it? Didn't it? <laughs> I, you, know, I've, you probably think I've been drinking. I've not had a touch of alcohol. I've been driving all day. For some reason, I've, I'm talking like um, I'm talking like I've not spoken all day when I've when I have actually been speaking all day. So I, I must be in a good mood.
1: But it's all interesting because it's part of the story and it kind of it helps define who you are. It helps define the band. And, you know, it kind of peels back the layers and, you know, it it also helps sort of like demystify it because it's just like you're a real dude with real problems. You know, you still got your world's best farter mug and everything like that.
0: And I'm really proud of what we've achieved so far. And I'm really excited about what we can achieve moving forwards. So for me, it's like super cool that it's come from that beginning. You know, I never went to music school. No, no one ever bought me an, uh, an electrical guitar. The, the only help I've ever had was this Spanish classical acoustic, which just got me interested. And everything after that has been my own my own determination. It, it definitely is like a classic story of volume over talent. You know, People obviously like us because of what we do. They are fans of the band, so I'm not going to try and say that we're not good. But what I am going to say is, is that my technique is quite limited, but I've just made the most of it by being determined. And being resourceful, and I think any any other musician who feels like they're frustrated or whatever, I, I would just say try harder because that's all I've done.
1: One other one thing I will note about Conan is that it is listed as a recent notable band on the Wikipedia for for Liverpool. So I'd say you've uh, you've earned your due cred.
0: Oh yeah, that's cool. I better check that out then. That's awesome.
1: You're up there with Carcass. <laughs> oh wow, that's cool. I remember like when I'm the I heard first heard of Conan, my reaction was there's a band called Conan, like just straight up the barbarian. And for anybody that doesn't know, Conan is in is like the character Conan, the um, uh, Robert E. Howard character is in the public domain as of 1936. But to assume the mantle of Conan, you can't just make it any kind of music. When did you know you wanted to go with that name?
0: Well, we've been practicing a little while, uh, 2005, six, and we were practicing under the name of Here lies the body initially. And that's still my eBay username. (laughs) Um, That's a cool name. Yeah, it it was a cool name. We had a website with that on it and all, and it it was great. And um, we then changed the name to Pazuzu, which was like, I think, a. A Latin American um, equivalent of Satan. Um Like
1: that thing from The Exorcist. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah I, I believe that's the name called. of the demon. Is Pazuzu. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then
0: that, so I knew it was a demon thing. I wasn't sure if it was Satan or not. But then we also had this other name called Demon De Mauro, which I actually can't remember now where the fuck that came from. But it, <laughs> it, 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 it came and it was our name for a short while. So I've got an old iPod somewhere that's, you know, a busted old iPod on a shelf somewhere that's got all of those early demos on it where we did like, but <laughs> one of the song, one of the first demos we had was called head of lumps. And that's because my boss in work at the time would, if he was going to say someone was a bit daft, like, you know, like, Oh, isn't he silly? He'd say head of lumps. Like you keep banging mm-hmm. your head all the time. Cause you're that stupid. That, that was like a, 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 an affectionate way of, sort of making fun of someone. So as in my parents, like I mentioned earlier on, I was uh, just, I've been practicing with Richie uh, Grundy for a little while in my parents' spare room. And I I was just listening to the demos that we'd done in in the, uh, the last time we'd recorded them. I remember thinking, recorded on a mini disc, by the way. I remember thinking, wow, this is like kind of a thing. Like it sounds like heavy metal, but it's super simple, dead loud. I wonder what we could get a better name that would be a bit more like in line with my interests. And obviously I wanted to make it something that was sort of cool and sort of the name conjured up images of what the music was in my head. And the lyric that we are battling the swamp at the time. And I thought, well, you know, like what sort of character would, and I thought, well, I'm like a barbarian, a warrior. What a, so what, what's a cool name for a barbarian or a warrior? I was like Conan. You know, like the, that was surely one of the iconic movie images of all time is, you know, Conan the Barbarian. And I thought, well, I wonder if anyone's taken that name. So I looked on LinkedIn <laughs> and uh, not LinkedIn, I beg your pardon, not on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn didn't exist then. I looked on MySpace. I looked on MySpace. There was a band from Argentina, a thrash metal band from the 80s called Conan. And I thought, okay, they're, they're not going anymore, so I'll take it. So I set up a MySpace page straight away. They weren't on MySpace. I, I did a search on MySpace, couldn't see anything. I did a search on the internet and found this Conan band from Argentina. And um, so I set up the MySpace page straight away. I may have even set up – no, I didn't set up a, a, a website. I just set up a MySpace page for called Conan. And I, I rung Richie and I said, we're going to call ourselves Conan. And he's like, okay, fine so we so, <laughs> done yeah done so we 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 just took the name conan and that's the name that we had then moving forwards and we've never felt like changing it which is which is good because it'd be a bit weird now if we didn't change it now but what it obviously is, it is a name that's in the public domain and if anyone from if anyone from whoever owns the conan trademark came to me and said you're ripping us off i'd say well hold on we're actually this is conan from some pop group, you know, Conan's a man's name and it, we've kind of uh, at times in the past worried in case that was going to get in trouble, but we're not, we've never like used the imagery of Conan. Obviously we kind of have like the barbarian thing, the warrior thing, but we've never borrowed from the imagery. Clearly we've never borrowed from it enough to get into trouble. So we're actually cool now. I think it was, if we were going to get a lawyer's letter, it would have happened by now. So I'm, I'm, Yeah. I'm,
1: yeah, you, you don't have like Arnold gracing any of your album covers.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we don't write. I mean, honestly, the name Conan. Yeah, cool. It's it's it's, it's an iconic figure, but our music isn't isn't about the character and it never has been. The closest we came is a song "Gravity Chasm," which is inspired by one scene in one of the books that I read, mm-hmm. um, where he chases these two like priests into a valley. And they jump into the fog over the edge of the valley's edge. So he takes this leap of faith. And that song is kind of about that. But aside from that, we've never... We're we're more interested in Lord of the Rings or Skyrim than the Conan stories, to be honest. Although they do influence certain riffs now and again.
1: I just started playing Skyrim again, actually.
0: You did? I've not picked it up for a while. How are you finding it?
1: Well, I—I I mean, I've played it before, and I got very far in it previously. Uh, yeah. And then I something happened where the game, gl- like, there was a glitch, and I couldn't get something to trigger. So I yeah. was like, "God damn it!" So I had to put it down, and I was a little pissed off about it, and wound up just playing another game. But now I'm like, you know what? I kind of feel like playing it again, yeah, and uh, try to not do like the most linear version. Try to like do something like off the beaten path and mm-hmm. change it up a little bit. So. Yeah. Previously, I played as a Nord, and now I'm doing a run as an Orc because I'm kind of like yeah. a battle, like a warrior type. But I also tend to use Madge. so I guess sort of like a battle mage. Is, yeah, I that's guess, cool. Is a... So yeah. that's sort of it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much like I just hack my way through the game, sort of.
0: Yeah, I was a Nord. I remember the first time I set it up, I I, I was focused on um, archery, so I had like the, uh, the the blue bow. I forget the name of it now. The 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 um oh fuck, what's it called? The, the, it's not where you conjure the bow and it's just made of energy.
1: Oh, it's like that. Yeah, there's a a magical skill where you can like conjure up a bow.
0: Yeah, maybe it's called a conjured bow. I don't know, but I had all the, probably.
1: (laughs) That was, I thought that
0: was the cool, one of the coolest things to have. So I I, I trained in that way. What ruined it for me was learning how to cheat on the smithing. So you would, I forget how you did it now. You go and collect, there was a certain place where you could go and kill crabs. And every four times that you died, it would reload those crabs in that spot. So you go and kill the crabs, collect the material, go to this particular smithing person. And then you'd learn, learn, you'd then make enough, oh yeah, that was it. You'd make enough leather to make daggers.
1: Yeah, you just spam daggers, basically. That's that's what I did too. And it just, it does just soak up so much of your time. Like I would just sit there. I would put on a podcast to just do that for an hour. Yeah, the
0: last time I got so stoned that I I thought I was going to have a heart attack was 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 playing Skyrim, doing the doing the the grind for trying to get my Daedric armor, which I got. Yeah. You know, I, I got. I mean, and I, I, I don't smoke weed anymore. Like several years ago, I stopped, and mainly because I got some weed off my friend Phil, who used to play bass in Conan, gave me some weed, and it was it must have been this insane.
1: Is this why
0: he's not in Conan anymore? <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. He left of his own accord. But um, we, uh, I remember I had a couple of tokes on my pipe out the front door, sitting down to play Skyrim again, thought someone was in the doorway next to me. At the time, big old Victorian house. Kind of had a bit of a vibe to it, but never thought it was haunted. But I thought someone was stood in the doorway, so I get that paranoia which people talk about, but it never really hit me too much. Then my throat felt like it was closing over. I was thinking, shit, this is like, I am don't feel well. And then my heart was racing like super hard, super fast. I thought, I'm just going to get a shower and then go to sleep. Remember, I remember getting, this is at like one in the morning. God knows why I was doing this at one in the morning. And then I remember getting a shower on my head. I was falling asleep, stood upright. But then my jugular was, my heart was pumping so hard. My jugular vein was making my head move because it was like bobbing yeah, my head. It, like, it felt savior. like it was. Yeah, it felt like it was. I thought, I'm going to, go to ed- I'm gonna have to go to bed here before I die. And anyway, <laughs> like, I think that was one of the last times I smoked weed. I think the time after that was in New Zealand and this guy had a bong and it made my throat close up again. So I thought, nah, I'm going to end up like smoking weed one time innocuous and I'll end up dying because I've got some weird reaction which I never realised I had. So uh, yeah, that, that, that made me give up weed. And this is like... 2017, 18. I don't know why we got onto marijuana, but we did.
1: Which is funny, given the proclivity of its use. Uh, <laughs> probably when you know people are listening to your yeah. music. But in ter- in terms of uh, like Conan stories, like what are your some of your favorites, or do you have any like favorite runs or versions? Like I was a big fan of the Dark Horse era of Conan, written by Kurt Busiek, and of course I like the movie with Arnold a lot. The, yep. the sequel's not the best.
0: The <laughs> Jason Momo one, no. the action is kind of a bit more interesting, but it doesn't have the same vibe to it. I'm not a massive fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger exacting in those movies. Something about it, which, which, is, yeah. which is really grabbed me, but the stories are awesome. I mean, I've got my bookshelf here. If I just pluck the first one out that I have, Conan of the Isles i love the old artwork the camp yeah lynn carter mm-hmm. oh what else have i got up here oh, obviously i got i mean it, how could i not have that that's like the it's the bible the, the compendium yeah uh, and i've got others dotted around my bookshelf i mean my bookshelf is full of
1: just all kinds of stuff
0: <laughs> yeah it's all science fiction or conan so one one or the other but um, the the sword of ski loss is a really good one if you haven't read that.
1: I haven't read any of the actual books, so okay. that's a good one to start with. I'd recommend that,
0: yeah. And then you got Conan of Aquilonia. There's lots of cool, lots of cool ones. They're all good, actually. To be honest, and they're all they're all worth a read because they all they're all awesome.
1: There's a Conan video game that's kind of like Skyrim.
0: I've I've heard of it. I've not played it. I kind of don't want to. I feel mm-hmm. like it's, I don't know. I think it would ruin... I don't know. I, I just don't feel right. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, it looks all right. It doesn't look like it's like that great. You know what I mean? But it's yeah, one of those I mean, games that it's it's popular to stream on and people play it for that. And you know, yeah. you can probably have some unintentional hilarity with it.
0: Yeah. I think I almost, almost considered getting it at one time. Um, but it would have been too much of a time sink for me. I've got enough of those. So I'm fine without
1: it besides conan those stories like where else do you pull from to create your music
0: more so in more so earlier on than now i would like read books and a line in a book would make me wanna would make me think of a riff almost like the way the rhythms play out and the syllables in the sentence will make me think of a riff and that happens all the time to me still does now sometimes and that would give me an idea and then from that riff then if I happen to be like practicing any time around then me and Johnny now or whoever was playing drums I'd like say oh yeah let's play along to this and the song would just would be born from that now I kind of look now because we got like a bit of a back catalogue I'm kind of listening to what we've already done and seeing what would be a natural progression from there Um, So in terms of like the riffs or the structure of the songs, I'm like listening to the older material and thinking, "Oh yeah, that would be cool. Be better if. Why didn't we do that?" And then that will give me an idea for a riff or or like a harmony or whatever, or a vocal line. Um, So that that is a, a a big thing for me. I don't so much read books now and come up with an idea as much, although it definitely does happen. On this new album, you know, the lyrics, for example, were all well, I say all, oh, maybe 85% of them came the day before we recorded. You know, I had some ideas jotted down, some stuff on my notepad on my iPhone, and some, like, uh, sort of a verse or two here and there. And uh, the night before we recorded was when Russia was just about to invade uh, Ukraine. So I was sitting there, like, absolutely terrified of what was happening in Europe, and um, those feelings made me write... Kind of like certain type of lyric with a certain edge to it and the source of the structure of the verses and whatnot kind of just felt good it was like this whole like war and Europe thing was an itch that i just felt like i needed to scratch and um so those the lyrics that we came up with on the album you know there's a lot of warfare in there hope victory defeat death triumph you know in in some of those songs i'm the hero In some of those songs, like I'm cowering from something that's about to kill us all. So for that album, this album, more than any other album, it was kind of like influenced by the real world. Now, none of those songs are about the war in Ukraine. Of course they're not. It'd be stupid of me to try and do that. But the lyrics are definitely influenced by it. Levitation hoax, you know, I am the force for good. My hands are fire and death. My eyes are burning brightness. This first one never is never done in that song. Like I'm the hero, you go to righteous Alliance set forth on a whisper of death, eyes glazed as they pass the test. And I'm sort of paying tribute there to the people who are defending their country, you know, any country and not just Ukraine, but it was definitely brought forward by what was happening in that war in, in the war. So yeah. The, the, this album is definitely the lyrics are definitely influenced by what was going on on our doorsteps here, When we just thrown back from Poland. It's a very, it's very close to their doorstep as well. Mm-hmm. So God knows how it must be for those guys and girls. Definitely, like we, our songs are all they all conjure the same feeling within me. You know, I'm just like a 15 year old kid watching Clash of the Titans for the first time. That's what I want to feel like when I'm writing music. And um, with the help, if you can say that, of what's happening in Europe at the moment, this album was was able to do that in a big way.
1: The music of Conan, while, you know, it's obviously it's heavy as shit. Like it uh, generally, it's kind of melancholy, despite it's a lot of this fantastical imagery. Obviously it's changed a lot over the years, but fantasy, you know, traditionally has that like upbeat and like could have that whimsical quality to it. But I've always been kind of, been drawn to the darker aspects of the genre, which is something that's highlighted in a lot of like heavy metal artwork and, and whatnot, but I liked all of that stuff that comes with it that has some like horror and grimness to it. So I don't think it's ever been difficult for you to convey that mood over the years, like it seems like yeah. it just sort of like naturally comes out. And I think another part of it that really helps to define the, the imagery of it is the artwork, which I love all the artwork. I don't know who the artist is that does your artwork. Obviously, you do. So you could yeah. kind of, if you could tell me.
0: Oh, no, I don't know. Do you, know it, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his name's Tony Roberts. He's an illustrator from uh, uh, Oklahoma. Oh, wow. And he's um, you'll see his work on, like, Grand Magus. A couple of albums back, used started to use um, him, Acid King, High and Fire. I've had posters made by him, and uh, I'm not sure who who he does work for now in a musical sense. But he's, you know, he's the guy who we've used all on every recording since Horseback Battlehammer. The only the only release we didn't use him for was Live at uh, Freak Valley because we didn't have time to commission mm. him. And uh, we end up using work by another very good artist called David Seymour in America.
1: Oh, yeah. David Paul the, Seymour. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think he's more like up in Indianapolis or Minneapolis, I think. Um, but yeah, I met Tony once. I've had two phone calls with him. And I've met him once in 10 years uh, when we played in Oklahoma, where he came to the show. So that was like, that was awesome.
1: But I love his style because it feels very unique in a sea of other, you know, artists who have similar styles drawing, like, mm-hmm. you know, barbarians, people in armor, creatures, you know, yeah. this, like, I think a lot of it has to do that. It's sort of like this landscape style, you know, it really does have like that old, older art, sort of like, a, I don't even know how to like describe it. It almost it even has like kind of a cave painting quality, to yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but it is so complex. So I think that's really helped kind of Put you guys on the map more it's like yep. that imagery that style like helps to define who conan is and give it its own character despite yep. you know sharing a name with an iconic character it's like you managed to somehow by doing this you managed to separate yourself from that entity and you are your own thing
0: yeah thank you i think it's really important that we have like consistency in our, our work, just the same way that iron maiden did and um you know if we're gonna be a doom metal band you gotta walk the walk as well like and having like the artwork that we have which is all like you know people with arrows through the throat and fucking monoliths and giants you know with a eye in the middle of the head and all that kind of stuff that's really what we're all about you know and tony really gets it and always has uh from the very first thing he ever suggested he was spot on you know and it's none of his artwork is too obvious like horseback battlehammer i am i got another artist to, to make artwork for me for horseback battlehammer which we never ended up using and to this day i feel bad because i had him make artwork for us i didn't like it and he was like pissed off that we didn't pay him but i didn't realize actually that you should have i should have paid him by then so whoever that guy is i apologize but he drew basically a guy on horseback with a hammer in his hand, fighting zombies or something. And I'm, you know, and it was cool. It was beautiful artwork, but it wasn't right for the album. And um, so I feel terrible now. But I just want to hold my hands up in public and say, whoever it is, please get in touch with me, and I'll gladly pay the invoice that you raised for that. He never did raise an invoice, but we—I remember him being annoyed at me that we didn't go with it. But yeah, Tony, who, who I have paid the invoices for since day one, glad to say, <laughs> um, has, has stuck with us. You know, I I don't think we're a difficult band to work with. But I, I I appreciate that he is kind of under pressure when we come on the phone on the on the messenger and say well, we're releasing an album. Can you do something for us? Because he he does his work in line with our music. So if we if all we've got is song titles, that doesn't help him create the art. When I'm giving him demos and lyrics and like a finished album, then he's like, oh yeah, this is cool. But the way we work is we normally write the album and we'll we need, if, if it needs to be in at the label by the end of January with the artwork and everything, we're normally giving it to Tony, like on the 10th of January. And he's only got half of the artwork done. So he's then under pressure to finish it all, which is uh which will happen on the last album. That's my bad. But, uh, yeah, Tony, Tony's great, wonderful artist and a lovely man.
1: I mean, like, where did the phrase caveman battle doom come from? Because <laughs> that's like just how you define your sound. And it's yeah. kind of stuck with you. Yeah, it
0: has. And we got we got asked this quite a lot, actually. The the name, the very first time we played at this place in Liverpool City Center called Corova Bar. Um, and we played with me and Paul as a two-piece. Um I remember I had a Dean Flying V, completely black, no fret markings. It was like a noir XT Flying V, I remember. And I had this Sun 2x15 and a 412. I had loads of old amps. And the poster for that show, the show was put on by a man called John McNulty and his other half, Jen McNulty. John McNulty, they're good friends of mine now. John McNulty became the bass player that played on Horseback Battlehammer with us, and he played a few shows with us. He's now in Cult Blood. Back then, he was in a band called uh, Zangief. They were like a cool, a little bit like Clutch, but heavier type of band in mm-hmm. Liverpool. They were awesome. And um, he made the poster for that show, and I think he called us like Two Piece Battle Doom or Two Piece Caveman Battle Doom or something like that. Didn't realize the significance of it at that point. We just played this show, did like a half an hour set. Played a song actually at that show, which we've never ever played since, and I don't remember the name. But I, I remember that one of the lines was, undead warriors give me power, something like that. I can't remember, but obviously that was like, so it's all going on, I um I wish I had that on video. I did have it on video, but I lost it. So that was, that was the first ever, um, time that caveman battle doom had been used and then I think in the press or the, you know, like in, in the promo for a uh, horseback battle hammer, the label that did the CD version of it were called, um, Aurora Borealis records. And they were from London as a lad there called Andrew. I think his name was Andrew and he called us caveman battle doom. And the first ever Conan t-shirt was a silver horseback battle hammer. Design and on the back it said Caveman Battle Doom silver, and uh, it's stuck, you know. Like people say you've made your own genre, of course, we haven't. We just think it's hilarious that people still talk about <laughs> it now. Because, I mean, don't forget, this was like what, 2011, which seems like mm-hmm. an eternity, um, for me, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I would never say, oh, yeah, that's what we are, we're a caveman battle doom band, it sounds ridiculous, but it's kind of fun to have something like that associated with you. So we'll, we, you know, we'll put on the back of a t-shirt because it sells some t-shirts, and it, I guess it looks cool. I like that. I like it because it's good to have something a bit gimmicky like that. Other bands do it, so why shouldn't we?
1: Without leaning too hard into it.
0: Yeah, not like oh, I'm not going to get like spend five thousand pounds on you know, caveman battle doom embroidered back prints, and or you know like bronze <laughs> chest badge or something like that. I'm, I'm not.
1: I gonna don't get know. It. Uh, yeah, I'm not it's gonna go screws it. on
0: my leg. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> uh so we'll talk about the new album, Evidence of Immortality. Uh, it's incredible. I love it. Thank I you. think it's absolutely a Conan album. And this is the this is the first one out since 2018. But yeah. you managed to sprinkle in some other sounds into it. And like specifically, I'm talking about the closing track, Grief Sequence, which is this. Yeah incredible like death doom type song with this haunting synthesizer or organ that gives me total john carpenter vibes like i'm a big advocate for synthesize more synthesizers in doom but like how Mm. did you come to the decision to close out with that it seems sort of like not like against type for you but it's a little bit not the norm for conan
0: no you're right It, it, it wasn't the norm and we wanted to put something in there that wasn't the norm uh, like on the last album, we had "Pain Cantation," which you know was could could be a Napalm Death song quite easily. So we had this song we called already called a "Grief Sequence." wasn't sure what to do with it because it was kind of like a like a like a flat landscape uh, as songs go. And I thought I wasn't sure whether I could lift this enough with vocals. So we spoke to a friend of mine, friend of ours, Dave Perry, who lives over in Copenhagen with his uh, with his other half, Joanna, and. I don't know if you've listened to it or not, but we released uh, a split with Slomatics back in like 2012.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's really good.
0: Yeah, thank you. But well, Dave plays bass on that, and um, he does all the noise and effects in mm-hmm. Obsidian Sword. And on the song uh, Older Than Earth, the third song on that EP, that's him on the keys. You know, he's and he's like that's his thing, like heavy music but with synths and keys. And, uh, he toured with us for a little while and we used to play older than earth live and I would play along with what he's playing in the keys. And it sounded insanely cool, but then I didn't want that to be like our sound. So it was, he didn't stick around for the band cause he moved to Copenhagen. So when this, when we had this song that needed a bit of a lift, it just became like obvious that having Dave make it his own was the right thing to do. You know, didn't let us down. And it does. You're right. It does sound like John Carpenter. Sounds like sounds like every cool sci-fi horror, uh, full soundtrack you you've ever heard. And uh, it's great. And the song builds because of what he does. Mm-hmm. Without him, without him in there, the song is kind of not all that good, in my opinion. It really what he's done on that song is really important. And he's made it like kind of a run-of-the-mill doom song into something much more. And I'm really grateful that
1: that he was able to do that. Me too. Do you find that Conan has a broader fan base internationally or back home in England? Because, you know, I know the English doom sound is a little bit different than in the U.S. varietal. And I was just curious if your sound draws in a wider appeal worldwide now, or maybe that doesn't matter because all bands basically function kind of on a global scale as it is these days.
0: Yeah, there, there is that. There is that, that. That bands that we we all kind of definitely do function on on a global scale. I would say that we have got a good following worldwide for sure. If you look at our statistics on the likes of Bandcamp and um, Facebook and Instagram, definitely have like the vast the majority of our fans are over in the USA. But when you compare the figures for Europe as a whole and the USA, there's not much of a difference. But it is still towards the USA. And in the UK particularly, we we, we have we have, we have got a good following, um, but we're not just a doom band like I was mentioned earlier on in the beginning of the show. We like you know we do that, that's clearly what we are. Obviously, I'm not saying we're not that, but we we have a we we also have like you know we get invited to play obscene extreme, you know it's like a grindcore festival in the mm-hmm. Czech Republic. You know we got we just come back from Poland and playing with Watain. I think we do do have a wider appeal when we play our own, like when we go on tour and we headline our own tours, we have really good crowds, you know, in most places that we go to. And I think that's a true test of how um, well-known you are or how, how sort of popular you are when you go and play in other countries. And we've done that, you know, built that up slowly since, since, we, since we began. And I think to be fair, the label, like Napalm Records, great label, I'd say your typical Conan fan might not be on their mailing list. I, I think that, I think that now that we're in a position where we're considered that we, we, Napalm haven't made us an offer, who knows, they might make us an offer. We can't refuse, you never know. What is also possible is that we, we would move to a label that where their mailing list is full of people who would be a big fan of Conan if they heard us for the first time. And I think that, that opportunity there is one that we're really excited about because that represents a a, a huge opportunity for growth for us and widening that sort of global appeal, because clearly there are big fans of doom metal worldwide. You know, Electric Wizard can go and play a show to a 1,000 people in America. You know, we can't yet. Mm -hmm. We go to America and we might play to 300, 250 or something. So we're hoping that the next sort of step for us is to move in that direction. You know, like, you would imagine that most fans of sleep would without too much effort be sort of cajoled into being a fan of Conan. So, but uh, clearly a lot of them aren't yet because they would go and play a, uh, an arena, a, um, a theater to 3000 people that we haven't, we're not at that stage yet. So there's a lot of, op- there's a lot of growth opportunities for growth there for us. And that's what I'm really excited about. So I think we've done a lot of the, I think what we have done, we got like a, a broad appeal with some hotspots. And I think that's, that'll, that'll stand us in good stead. You know, we're going to go to Australia next year. I know for sure we'll sell out the Sydney show. I mean, that's insane. I know we'll probably sell out the Melbourne show. There could be 400 people there. So we definitely have like opportunities to, 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 um, to, to grow into, you know, to be the sort of band that, People would think would be you know the size of Electric Wizard because we're kind of like in their ballpark at the moment, but we're not as big as them. So that's the challenge for me because I'm quite um, I'm quite uh, what's the word when you when you compare yourself to others uh, competitive. Yeah, so I'm like okay, bring it on. You know, I'm a big football fan. I used to play football when I was a kid. So mm. I'm like okay, let's do this. Let's let's see what we can do to to build ourselves up. And I think one of the key things is is what label we go on to next, because their marketing will naturally have an impact upon how many new fans we attract.
1: And uh, when will Conan be making their return to the US? Because I still haven't seen y'all.
0: Okay, whereabouts are you based? I'm in New York. We've played at St. Vitus about five times.
1: Well, (laughs) I I guess I was not into the band at the time. Okay, well fair enough. Okay, no, that's fine. Next
0: time we're there, you should come and say hello. We haven't got a tour lined up yet, but we are working on it. That's the best way to say it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know it's tough now with all of the, you know, the visa issues and getting in and all that shit. So I know, and I know like financially, the you know, it's always kind of a, a gamble. If you're going over there, it's probably a lot more easy for you to bring in a successful tour in Europe now at this point. Australia, like you just said, even South America.
0: Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, USA is always successful for us. Uh, we're lucky enough that we do have a good following there, and we do, you know, it's it's it, it's always a successful tour. So we're not worried about that. We just we we are first of all we just got to line up the offers and get like the tour sort mm-hmm. of outlined, and we're at that stage right now. So yeah, we are we are currently booking a tour for the USA. Hopefully, we'll get that announced soon enough. I'm there. Okay, good. You should come and say hello. I'll get you a beer.
1: Have you been listening to anything lately that you've really been digging on? I started
0: listening to um, some more Synthwave this week, and I can't remember now. Where's my phone? I'll I'll get off my phone if you don't mind. I put a shout out for... um, I asked some friends about uh, what Synthwave should I be listening to, and someone recommended me uh, an album called Annihilation by Street Cleaner. Um and another synthwave artist called Dance with the Dead, Driven to Madness. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah. But one I album I have been listening one album I have been listening to a lot is um Crypt of Ice by Frozen Soul. And they're like very like it's death metal, lots of bolt thrower in there, I think.
1: Yeah and they're uh, awesome.
0: yeah, fucking out that album is so cool. So the last week or two that's what I've been listening to mainly.
1: I would, I would be down with the Frozen Soul uh, Conan tour.
0: Me too. I've, I've spoken on my Instagram already, so may, uh, if we if our paths cross, then that would be awesome. Who knows? That'd be but dope. You should also check out Thra from Thra. Um, near Arizona, uh, No, Tempe, Arizona. Okay, you should check them
1: out. They're really all good. right. I definitely will. I, have, I had kind of a crazy week, so I haven't really been listening to all that much. Uh, listened to a bunch of stuff by Abrams, just because just had them on the episode prior to this, and they have mm-hmm. a new album out. There's this German industrial sludge band that I found out about a couple of years ago called Valborg. They have a new album out. I thought that was pretty yeah. good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing I've been listening to is that, that reissue of uh dope smoker because it has hot hot lava man on it which is incredible
0: what's that what's the hot lava man
1: it's an old i don't like it's a lost track from like uh i guess more like the holy mountain days of sleep and i could kind of see why maybe they didn't want to include it on the final recording because it it sounds like a lot of the songs rolled up into one song but it's Also, just incredible. <laughs> like, I mean, it's I love it. It has, it has a uh, a riff buildup that is just so fucking good. And I'm yeah. really glad that this has been rediscovered. It just sort of existed as as like a YouTube video for a long time, okay. and then um, when Third Man just put out another reissue of Dope Smoker, and they included that on it. So uh, it's, yeah. it finally got like a a due release, and it's uh, yeah. pretty fucking incredible.
0: I'll have to check that out. So I'll share that with Chris as well. He'll he'll blow his mind.
1: And then uh, in terms of shows, I went to go see Earthless uh, at the Market Hotel with the uh, oh, local God. band uh, Peace Sign opening up. And I mean, uh, it was uh, you know, it's Earthless. Like Earthless is fantastic. Yeah, and I had I'm kind a big of. I'm a...
0: sorry. I'm a big fan.
1: Yeah, they rule. And uh, had kind of a funny encounter. I forgot that I was wearing a uh, a shirt that Eric Roper designed for Sleep, and uh, he he was there and I was talking to somebody and he pointed it out. So needless to say, went over, had a quick chat with uh, Mr. Roper. It was nice to introduce myself and just tell him I'm a big fan of his art. Like love his stuff.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. He's a great artist, isn't he?
1: Yeah. So, so that's what I've been up to. Um, But uh, obviously you have the new album out. Is there anything else you want to plug or tell people where they can find the album?
0: Uh, No, but if you've got any bands who are um, watching your podcast, you should get them to check out um scenegen.io. i i'm actually developing a um a networking software platform for, for entertainment industry but focused on the underground metal scene first of all so it would be a bit like linkedin and um myspace
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and a lot of the older guys and girls might remember book your own Fucking life <laughs> which is like a uh, like a paper magazine that would be yeah record. yeah yeah i've heard of it yeah well, that's a big inspiration. So myself and a team were looking at, we're getting some grant funding from the local authority and we will get a decision on that in a couple of weeks. So we've got this software platform called SceneGen. So anyone who's in a band who wants to register for updates, go to scene S C E N E G E N dot I O and, um, put your name down for some updates. Cause we think it's going to
1: be pretty huge. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and making the this uh, hectic schedule uh, work out. You're welcome. Real it was pleasure nice to, to, you, to speak with you. Yeah, you um, sure, too. And I love the new album, and everybody should go check it out. And if you you know listen to this, you're probably a Conan fan already. So you say Conan
0: or Conan? Um, I've never really thought of Conan. So yeah, definitely an O and an A. So it's Conan.
1: I've always I mean. said Conan, like. Conan I O'Brien, but I, <laughs> I feel like it's Conan O'Brien and it's Conan the Barbarian. But then yeah, Conan. uh, I'm sure you know Dave uh, from Made in Brooklyn, who, you know, he, oh, yeah. he, uh, he always is Conan. He always is yeah. Conan. Yeah, he does all our merch over there. He's the guy. So, yeah, Dave's great. Just went to his uh, little wedding celebration not too long ago.
0: Did you go? Oh, yeah, that was – I saw him and Danielle at um... – they were on uh, honeymoon at the moment. Yes, um, I'm trying to pay one of his invoices, and I don't know if I sent it. I've sent him it through the bank this time, and I'm waiting for him to let me know if the hundred dollars of sent him is cleared, so I can pay the rest. So if you see him, <laughs> if you see him, tell him I want. I want to know, but tell him not to worry about it until after his um, honeymoon, and I'll earn some interest on the money then, hopefully, as well in the bank.
1: <laughs> I'll let him know. Thank you again, John, and uh, go check out the new Conan record, and that'll do it for this chapter of The Diary.
0: Cheers, Dylan.